0: Okay, hello, welcome to Real Indigenous, where these real Indigenous peoples get real about what's on our screens and everything in between. I'm Matt Bars, bringing with me, with me, bringing thoughts, feelings, and critical minds. Are
1: Aleto This is
2: Tully. Uvla Luatuk. Uvanga Angela.
3: It's Jane Hawaii. This is Noeta Harjo.
2: This is Sunrise all right uh today
0: we're going to be talking about what are we talking about we're we talking about at least aquaman 2 and maybe aquaman 1 <laughs> oh i hope in not that, oh, in that order talk
1: about the Aquaman. i think we'll just briefly discuss, uh give our like real quick thought on aquaman 1 because i don't think there's anything deep on that one that isn't in aquaman 2 unless you guys have something else maybe just say what you thought about aquaman 1 and then move forward with aquaman two.
4: Aquarian. <laughs>
2: Well, and maybe we should say, you know, we want to talk about this because of Jason Momoa being an indigenous person in a starring role in a DC universe, major motion picture. He he, he wrote
0: also, The Lost Kingdom. Or co wrote I'm sorry, co-wrote. Yeah,
2: he's it. got a he's got a yeah, he's got a, a
4: story title. Oh, Is he also yeah.
1: producer created? I'm assuming he would be. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Wait, he co wrote this one?
4: Yes. It, that's my so yeah. Yeah, oh, got a, Okay. He's got a story by. Oh, I face okay. Momoa. Mm.
2: interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting.
4: <laughs> it's, it's, so, I think it's also interesting because it's like James Wan, right? So like this is also, yeah. you know, Asian American or Asian Australian, I think. But what uh, else has
2: James Wan done?
4: Oh. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I mean, Saw, right? He's He created Saw. Oh, and then he also created the, the Conjuring universe, and um, is that why Patrick Wilson is in this? I think so. Or, and th- I think this is also why Patrick Wilson is like possessed at one point in this. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh yeah, those are the things that James Wan is most known for. But he wow, also Megan. He
3: he produced Megan. He produced oh, wow. Megan.
4: Yeah. What? And he yeah. did. He did one of the. Um, he did one of the Fast and Furious. I think it's the uh-huh. same.
3: Yeah, and then Night Swim which is currently out.
4: Yeah. And always a producer on the insidious or like Annabelle and again, conjuring. And then I think a couple of years ago he did malignant and the nun,
2: you know, producing the nun. I feel like I'm kind of glad I didn't (coughs) do this going into it.
3: (laughs) Angela's a scaredy cat.
2: (laughs) No, I feel like I would have had higher expectations. Oh yeah, (laughs) yeah. You probably would have. I would have totally had much better, much higher expectations. Uh,
1: here's what the well, ride- to- listen, here's what the writing trailer looks like screenplay by David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick, story by James Wan, David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick, Jason Momoa, Thomas Paa Sibet. So there's like four people who did the story.
2: Hmm. Is this part of the new DC universe?
0: This is the last. I think it's
2: the, the last. last. Yeah, it's yeah.
3: the last yeah. of the old one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we first meet Aquaman, and did we first meet him in the Justice League movies? We met
1: him first. We versus, did, didn't Batman we? Versus Superman, where he yeah. yeah, Zoolander act, and then I think he ended up as having the major a major role in Justice League after that. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So then we went to Aquaman
2: where he just finds his parents right he's been he, like the first one is him finding out that he's half aquatic well, he, he lived on
3: it. on land with his father so he already had his father um, his mother had left him a long time ago and i can't see what happens. he has to he has to find the triton of atlanta and i know that to save atlantis i can't remember if that was what made led him to that though
1: yeah, it was kind of <laughs> the way that the timeline is set up because in in Batman versus Superman, he's already underwater. That's how they got a video of him. Right, yeah. Yeah. And then Justice League, he remember he comes out of the water and he goes to see Mi- Mira in one scene. In one I of don't... them, I don't know which one it is, because there's b- different variations of the Justice League movie. Yeah. So then I think in the Aquaman movie, we get kind of a secret origin. And he comes back home because he's been on the land for a while, protecting the land people, land folks. Is that
4: how it is, Sunrise? You were about to say something. I'm sorry. I I think so. I think that's right. Yeah, there's like he's in Maine and uh, his father is a lighthouse keeper. Um, I. Tamira Morrison, who is. Oh, uh, yeah, he's (laughs) awesome. Yeah. Yeah, he's. Yeah. Amazing right like there's another indigenous actor there yeah amazing with a great great filmography yeah and uh I think it's the uh Nicole Kidman is found and then there are questions about why she's there I think and then he finds out that she's the Queen of Atlantis and they had a relationship and then I think it's because she's trying to court him to deal with his brother his half-brother who's the patrick wilson Um,
2: character because
4: the yeah and i think the patrick wilson character is trying to um take control and do things in a very aggressive way um i think he wants to wage war i'm pretty sure with um above the water
2: yeah that comes up in aquaman too is that they kind of gave a summary about him wanting to attack the land dwellers yes and which is why they overthrew him. I think that's pretty much it.
4: And Manta Ray shows up because yeah, and that's from,
2: important because Manta comes back. Right.
4: From Justice League, right? That's where I'm I'm not sure where Manta comes from. I think he was just an
3: Aquaman. I, think, I, don't think I thought he was he's a... in one. Yeah, because doesn't Aquaman like it make a ship explode and it kills oh, his brother? Yeah. Is that right? It kills his I brother. I thought that was in Father. Justice
0: League. Uh, Is that
3: in Justice League?
0: No, that was <laughs> Was it was it an Aquaman? I can. I can remember Aquaman.
3: Him. I thought it was an yep. Aquaman too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And Manta was a, a pirate. And him and his father mm-hmm. and Aquaman. They were robbing like a submarine. I thought. Yes. And, okay. and what's the space showed up? The water boy to stop them and accidentally killed the daddy. And so the daddy told the boy to get the The was it Black Manta? Mantis. Yeah. Like terrible name to call him but
2: <laughs> <laughs> but uh there's black adam too in in dc <laughs>
1: stop getting racial dc come on I know, right? <laughs> and so yeah the, the father told manta to get revenge and so that was manta's goal in the first one oh, man.
4: black manta yeah black Panther <laughs> not just a black man but a black manta <laughs> <laughs> although although they they never refer to him that in the film I don't oh, think okay. they ever say black manta uh, I they think just they say it right?
2: a little boy a little bit
4: do they
3: okay
2: right. smart <laughs> So, was that catch us up <laughs>
3: <laughs> is that everything we need to know before we go into the second film I think
1: we <laughs> really don't think... need to know anything cuz none of us really know what the fuck <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> there was water. There was uh, Dolph Lundgren. Yeah,
4: I, I do think you know. Just one brief thing. He uh, he becomes the king of Atlanta at the end. That's important. At the end of Aquaman, he doesn't a start a relationship with Amber Heard's Mara. I think that's where it ends. Right, and,
2: and they they catch the brother and like they catch put the brother. In and
4: he's. I don't know if he's in prison there, but they at least imply that he's. Going to be held captive, and all those yes. things have some influence on them, this one.
2: Yeah, because this begins with now he's king of Atlantis, and he has a baby, and there's a lot of him with the baby.
4: Yeah, the baby urinating on him.
2: Yeah, there was a lot of that.
4: But there, yeah, there's like a quick montage at the beginning where we see him as he tries to balance it being I mean, referred to being. It what?
1: What? Like so the, it was the, the script, I believe, is called the piss montage. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yes. <laughs> yeah, so the piss montage happens where he's trying to balance between like a urinating child, the child that urinates on his face and then trying to stop pirates out in the sea and then also bureaucracy. Yeah, dealing with, yeah, Which bureaucracy is a bureaucracy. total bummer yeah.
2: he realizes because all he wants to do is go knock heads. He's such a uh, such... Yeah, only he could do things by himself. <laughs> That's summary of the show, of the movie
4: but <laughs> I mean, that's the summary of the, the beginning right okay. uh, i guess his father is there yeah yeah it's, his father's uh, on land while his mother is down below and um that is just sort of a setup of where he's been since we last saw him and then there's sort of like this parallel narrative where um there are these scientists that are looking at uh elements of uh, uh disappearing ice right so like sort of uh global warming narrative where Randall Park's character he's like a scientist he's investigating the evidence of Atlantis he wants to find it and I think there's more evidence I guess since ice is melting and uh what he discovers is um a creature that uh, attacks a colleague and then uh, Manta realizes that this is like where secrets are hidden that he wants access to and then somehow they retrieve these large containers of
2: I think basically, the basically fossil fuels.
4: Yeah, fossil fuels, and also like greenhouse gases or something. Yeah. Like they're they're glowing green, and Nicole Kidman talks about them being like uh, destructive to the ecosystem and the ozone. And um, so the idea is that you know we're seeing that he wants these things to like Manta wants these objects to basically destroy the Earth. And I'm not sure how much that is related to his vengeance, but part of it is also he's in this discovery of these objects under the water. He finds this other trident, and the trident basically links him to uh, a previous kingdom and a previous king who's very vengeful. And uh, he essentially becomes possessed by this other previously existing king who I think is really out to destroy the world and out to take control of it and out to make sure that the ice releases him that all the water or all the ice turns to water and that this other i don't know what other kingdom it is ninth kingdom maybe is released to the world and so it seems like there's maybe supposed to be a struggle between manta and this possession which maybe is clear sometimes maybe it's not um
2: is the other is the new trident called the black trident
4: the black trident
2: is it is it is it really yeah uh, I think it I was. Think so
0: I think so. <laughs> they call it they calls it that I think at one point.
1: oh
4: my okay. gosh. you yeah. think to too racial up in this place <laughs> right. but uh, um, Aquaman thinks that Manta is out for vengeance, which he is, but the only person that knows how to deal with Manta is his half-brother who is the person that we saw from the first film.
2: Wait, Manta or Aquaman.
4: No, 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 no no Patrick Wilson. Patrick Aqu-
2: Wilson's Patrick- the only one that knows how to deal with Manta.
4: Right. That's what they say when they Oh, that's a, why they
2: had to go get him.
4: That's why they go break him out of prison. Yeah. Right. I understand
1: he knew where to find him because they had he had found him before. And so he knew the underground world of where to find people.
4: And like, they go on an like adventure. Yeah.
2: Okay. I want to know how Randall Park gets these parts in both superhero universes. Well oh,
4: yeah. Because he has yeah. love and he's funny.
2: He has facial hair in this one.
4: He does. But he wasn't that
2: funny in this, was he? Not really.
4: I think there are times where it's like he's got jokes and I think he delivers them like they're jokes, but it's like the editing, I think, um undercuts it from being funny. But also like <laughs> also nobody else is really funny in the film and he's also like a character that I think we're supposed to see as like transformed and realizes the error of what he's who he's supported by, Black Manta and giving him information, he starts to regret all that and realize that Black Manta's out to control the world and it's, you know, they're releasing these greenhouse gases. And yeah, so releasing... maybe
2: maybe scientists should listen to the humanities every once in a while about what's right. A good idea.
4: Right. It did because of all this, I mean it did I mean it's obviously like an eco film. And uh I agree with its concerns. But it, it felt to me like it's also like um uh, Captain Planet. I felt like it was a Captain Planet movie as much as an Aquaman movie, where it seems like they're very concerned about this future of the world, like the economics and or in the ecological state of the world. And it was hard not to interpret it that way.
2: Oh no, it's um, very heavy on climate change. Right, absolutely. I mean, the whole whole message was, for me that I took away was climate change. But you know back back to being funny. Jason Momoa was trying to get some funny lines in, but oh my gosh, it was just falling flat, I thought.
4: Was there any moment that did work?
2: <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to think in the <laughs> the audience reactions were all pretty just kind of just sitting there eating popcorn.
0: I mean, I, I had pretty low expectations going in, so I didn't think it was great, but I mean, I was I was entertained.
1: Yeah, same here. I didn't really expect a lot. Because, as we said, on the first Aquaman, I thought was entertaining and fun. You know, like seeing like this, the cool stuff of like the the world of Aquaman and like the octopus playing drums was cool. And so, you know, you got got a little bit more of that going on, but no octopus playing drums. So I like seeing stuff. I thought it was pretty looking. A lot of the visuals were kind of pretty. And so, but as a like a deep thinking story or something of substance, I wasn't expecting too much. And so you got basic entertainment and the thing I did like, and probably couldn't too far ahead, but when Aquaman and Mantis are fighting, I thought that was a really cool visual when they were fighting at the end, their final fight scene. But we I do play. feel like
2: the underwater fight scenes mo- worked better in this one than they did in the first one
1: yeah but the other thing too is like what is the gravity of everything because sometimes people land on the ground sometimes they just stay up floating and you know there's
4: no like real there's no
2: real physics in this no
4: (laughs) yeah and you know that even goes with the water where it's like i thought you know there's some spaces they go into that i thought were full of water and then as the scenes play out they're on dry land after a while Uh uh-huh and uh, I, I got very confused about when they're in water and when they're not in water. Um, right. And the physics between the, those two different spaces. That was very weird. Yeah,
1: um, and one dude kept talking about, hey, he's going to burn down Atlanta. So, wait, isn't it underwater? How are you going to actually burn it down? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh,
4: I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and then there just seems to be like a lot of tridents just everywhere. Like The, the climactic sequences really rely on people having access to a trident. Somehow they're just everywhere, but also they're they're special enough to like be able to do very powerful things, and that was very confusing to me.
2: What was and the I, total? Were they're like three all together.
4: I think there's three total, but somehow there's an extra one because like when they they go into that final space where like the the old, old king is frozen, Randall Park pulls a pulls one out of the wall or something, and then gives it over to Jason Momoa. Oh, I thought that
2: was Jason Momoa's.
4: Right, you think it's his because he knows what to do with it. But I don't know where it came. It was just like in that room already. And then there's a moment where, you know, Jason Momoa has to throw a trident into the black trident, like being held by the king, the frozen king, who's quickly being like unfrozen. Yeah. And it throws and it goes through it, kind of like how we see arrows going to arrows in other movies. Like Robin Hood it. Like Robin Hood it. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it, both of them get destroyed. But then, like, moments later, he picks up. A trident, which I thought was the destroyed trident. And I didn't know where that other trident came from. Sounds more the a error to me. <laughs> like that was very confusing. And maybe there are answers, but I felt like it was, you know, I saw it twice and both times it was very confused. Plus the movie was
1: sponsored by the gum people of
2: trident. <laughs> trident. <laughs> Honestly, I, the whole time I was watching it, I was like, oh, That's a scene from this action movie. Oh, that's a scene from that action movie. It just seemed like they had cobbled together all of their favorite scenes from all of their favorite adventure movies and tried to weave a storyline in there to kind of connect them all.
0: I'm glad you said that because um, I noticed that. Did anybody think that the ending of the movie was similar to another movie? Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. We all
0: seen the movie on, on deadly ground.
2: Oh, I was thinking uh, Iron Man when he's like, I am Iron Man.
0: Okay. I was yeah, thinking I, the Steven Seagal classic on Deadly Ground.
2: Yeah, on Deadly <laughs> Ground. <laughs> yeah. Or he's <laughs> running through
4: my mind.
0: Yes. But then yeah. he gives this huge speech at the end and just about talking about the dangers of what's what, oil, I think. Yes. Right. Oil oil, oil pollution. Yes. And it's almost like he's giving the exact same speech in, in this movie and i don't know if that's a good that's a good thing or if that's something that they should have how how much they realized they were doing that
4: i think it's pretty intentional i feel like it's that and yeah. it's also like it reminded me of iron man mm-hmm. and i i think for me the end really is about whether he's whether he's taking on like his responsibilities as like a a, a king or if he's not uh he certainly takes on the obligation of the demeanor of like diplomacy there and it's sort of like it's almost not the truth because mm-hmm. moments later he, like, you know, does his like Jason Momoa, like yelling and screaming of, like, yeah, but I'm Aquaman and dropping the mic. And those two moments are like com- almost in complete conflict with each other. And it's I like, almost
2: expected him to do the Chi from Maui.
4: Right. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, like the, the big thing about Iron Man is. I, you know, like this gets lost today because it's like a different world of what superheroes are. But, you know, prior to Iron Man, I feel like superheroes were always trying to maintain the secrecy of their identity. Um, that's something that's happening in this film, like whether or not the Kingdom of Atlantis wants to reveal itself to the world and how do they do that? And if they do that, how, what does it mean? And um, that those are the same questions superheroes ask of themselves, especially prior to Iron Man. But, Iron Man kind of did this thing when at the end of the film, he's not gonna maintain secrecy. He like reveals to everybody, to the world and to the broadcast that this is who I am. And it's almost like superhero movies going forward. It's like it, there's almost very few narratives where the character is conflicted about do I reveal who I am or do I not? And, and these questions that prior to that were wrestled by Superman and Batman, Flash. Spider Man does that, Spider Man. Yeah, Spider-Man today still does that. You know, yeah. like that's like one of the few narratives where that seems to happen, but it's interesting Aquaman, I mean, it seems like he lives in a world where everybody kind of knows that he's Aquaman. So there's almost like no need for that. And it's almost like just a, his own like declaration to himself about what that means. I really think this has something to do with like the larger story, I guess what he's wrestling with. I really saw this as like an anti-colonialist movie. Right, obviously, like the the lost kingdom of the title is this old kingdom of the past, and uh, it relates to a large villain that basically just wants to take over the world for no real agenda other than just power, and uh, it's you know uh, related to destruction and ego, and in this film specifically, the outcome is global warming. All those things are cataclysmic, and things that we see as a result of colonialism today. I mean, corporations and governments that um, don't care about other people and are going to continue in their path of what whatever kind of social economic or cultural dominance that they have felt like that was kind of like one side of the story and then the other is like how does he maintain a a lineage how does he live as a father for basically a uh, a biracial child I mean, he's biracial himself and so like there's like an indigenous part of his identity, which I think that was very cool that his father was like speaking, it felt like he was speaking Maori for like a couple Mm -hmm. lines in the beginning.
2: Yeah, I heard that.
4: Right. So it feels like, you know, he's trying to balance this idea of the two worlds that is, you know, a cliche, but he's a mixed race character and he's got a mixed race child and his child has abilities though. And the abilities are rooted in harmony and relationship with nature and There's a question of tradition here. It feels like those things are in conflict with each other. And the, the moment where he like, where Aquaman has to escape those giant bugs, whatever they are, locusts or whatever, grasshoppers, they, they basically break down that statue and it creates a bridge. And they have that joke about Kings building bridges, but that bridge I think is really symbolic of like a kingdom that's been overtaken by colonialism and like the outcome of that, which are monsters. Uh, versus like the potential of harmony and and these two worlds working together it's almost very similar to what what we talked about with with uh, what if where there's like you know an indigenous character and 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 another character represents colonialism and they're kind of working together and they're not working against each other and they're sort of maybe trying to find a way to solve problems in a way that aren't just rooted in colonialism because it seems to be the conversation that both brothers have is like, well, you got to be a king this way. And he's like, well, I don't want to be a king this way. And we understand that maybe he doesn't want to be a king because it's like, you know, there's a certain rigidity, but there's also like the outcome of like robbing graves and like exploiting resources and being selfish. It felt like the end then when he declares that he's Aquaman, he's like sort of like taking a position that he's going to find a way to balance both of these worlds and not just colonialism. But that building bridges is really interesting because it's like, it, yes, they talk, they joke about it being a metaphor, but it, and it literally is a bridge. It's literally a metaphor, but it's not just a bridge. It's like they also have to break that statue to really be safe. And so that the way that I interpreted that was that the bringing down of the statue, obviously, is something that we relate to a lot here in America, right? Like this, it's also related to like a, a colonialist past. And then it's not, that's not just the first step. It's like you got to destroy the Purpose of that statue, which is to like continue a tradition. And so, like, the metaphor is also together they have to destroy it to be safe. And uh, that was really interesting metaphor in terms of like colonialism or not anti colonialism or finding a post colonialist approach to things. I feel like those things were almost like challenging some of these films that seem to be referenced, you know, like Indiana Jones. You know, he complained that he's a grave robber and is sort of like just this white guy going into these. Non white communities and taking things from them. Or, you know, even Thor and Loki are, even though they're brothers just like these two and they antagonize each other, they're both ultimately, they both believe in the throne. They both believe in like the procedure of colonialism. But it seems like Jason Momo is different here, where it's like Aquaman is not quite sure he believes in it. And it seems like it creates a lot of problems and it seems like it's going to be a problem for his child. And I think those are responding maybe a little bit and the same thing with like a black panther this um second black panther wakanda forever where there's also the underground society and there's also a question of whether they reveal himself and they do so it's like very warlike and it seems like he's also against like attacking the mainland it's it's not about fighting in the revelation it's he's going to do it on a in a more peaceful and maybe cooperative way and I, so i feel like even though the film itself is sort of cheesy i feel like all of these things were addressing these questions of colonialism and do we maintain the past in terms of colonialist habits and uh, where, where do like mixed raced individuals live in the future and what is the way in which they become leaders if it's not in the traditional colonialism? So, um,
2: so randomly all of those themes are in frozen too.
4: Sure. I yeah. mean, I don't think, I don't know if that's random. Either. Uh, yeah,
2: it's about bridges, about being mixed race, how you lead, I mean, all of that. But I think that it was much more successful in Frozen 2 than it was here. Sure, I mean, it, yeah, it could be, yeah. Uh,
4: if we think about those two also, though, there's like, Frozen 2 probably appears to address like a certain demographic, probably, you know, young women more than young men. Uh, it feels like Aquaman might address the other male audience. That's not engaging with Frozen 2, maybe.
1: Yeah. I think that's a common, like a trope of the mixed race person or mixed person who has to come to terms with their, was it, what was it the living in two worlds concept? Yes. Yeah. The two worlds.
2: Yeah. One fit in each world. Yeah. yeah.
1: So we've always had those stories in the ever since, you know, at least with natives, you know, ever since probably Hollywood production happened where they use the HB word and would say, you know, how they would have to come to terms with whose side are they going to be on? And like, you know, I remember there's like Billy Mills movie where he talks about winning the race. Who won? My white side or my Indian side. You know? And so and so I think that's a common troll. I don't yeah, I'm always like on the fence of that of how they do it too. Of like, you know, we did try working with them before and we saw what happens. I mean that's that was how we began was trying to work with these colonizers and reach out to them and be helpful to them. And so you know so like I think that's why everyone liked the first Black Panther movie is because you didn't know who to side with, whether you did agree with Killmonger, whether you agreed with uh, T'Challa, and so you have to have this whole whole thing of thinking of what is it, what it, what should it be, what would it be, what would it look like, and that's the problematic thing about it. I know like uh, when my cousins would say stuff like that, like you know we should send them all back, all those white people, we should send them all back, da 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 da, and uh, you know when my uncle would say. But what about like your cousin who's mixed, who's also white? What do we do with them? Do we just keep them or do we send them back? How do we deal with them? It's not that simple. So I think that's what we're trying to figure out of how we can work in the future. And I think that's why these stories are out there is like thinking about how do we deal with the problematics of the indigenized and decolonization issues and how we deal with it and how we don't deal with it. And whether we just yell, I'm Aquaman and leave.
4: Or what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Uh, But it's interesting because like this comes at a point where, I mean, yeah, these narratives have happened over and over, but we're now at a point where it's like, you know, Jason Momoa is integrated in the story and language is integrated in the story here. And we're in a different place where we have indigenous makers that, or indigenous communities that have to get in these relationships. I mean, this is all we talked about almost every time we had to talk about killers is how do we go forward working with someone when we, You know, when we've talked about the What If series, it's the same thing where an individual is non-Indigenous and they found a way forward. We're not uh, out of the woods, I guess, yet. But I just thought it was very interesting that like, at this time, and the conclusion, I guess, of this DC world is like, it's kind of making these particular statements when it seemed like they weren't doing this prior. I don't know if he's actually been... uh, Jason, I don't know if he was a writer on the previous film, but it seems like there's some influence here and it seems like the studio and maybe James Wan are listening and it feels like it's speaking to not just like a non-indigenous audience about some of these things. It was amazing that this narrative was really about kind of the relationship between a lot of minorities, right? We've got like Jason Momoa and he's got his Caucasian brother, literally colonizer, both of them, but you know, Manta, African American. And then we've got, Randall Park and their relationships, both of those characters, four characters, they kind of mirror each other. They're like working with each other. They're sort of, they should be, you know, on the part of like the scientist and Manta, and maybe they should be working with each other a little bit more equally. But I thought that was very cool that we've got this narrative that is more diverse in its leads compared to, you know, maybe previous DC narratives. And I wonder how much that has to do with like James Wan.
1: I would assume a big influence of James Bond because, you know, there's like a lot of uh, Asian representation in this movie of like uh, a lot of the characters that are in there. And I can't remember, like it was that the woman who was working with the Manta on the movie.
4: Right. Yeah.
1: And, you know, so
4: driving the boat or whatever. Yeah.
1: So there's like, you know, a lot of that going on. So I'm assuming there is. And so it's almost like, you know, when they talk about like a white filmmaker, will put too many white people in their movies. (laughs) <laughs> that's because that's all they know that's who they know you know it's not like they're, they're not intentionally being racist they're just like well all my friends are white i don't really have that many people of color who are my friends so that's why i'm putting <laughs> white people in that's my world that's my universe so like once you know natives and asians be putting them in you'll be seeing more like people culture showing up and and i think that's also talked about like in like uh in, like black cinema, you know, even the people in the restaurant are all black. And it's like, <laughs> yes, because <laughs> like, that's all—that's what we know.
2: You know, we're just friends with like people of our our of our <laughs> likeness. You know,
1: and so yeah, I think that's what it's also happening, which is good to me.
2: Yeah, we know the people that we can call and go. Hey, what are you doing tomorrow? You want to come sit in the background of my movie?
0: Anything else? What do you think of the editing? Anybody? It seemed, it, it seemed kind of all over the place. I don't yeah. know how many. It, it seemed like it was worked on quite a bit. Like I said, the only scene that
1: really like got me like, oh, cool, cool. Was that scene that at the end where Manta and Aquaman are fighting and it looks like it makes it look like it's just one camera. Matt, not impressed. You weren't impressed, Matt?
0: Oh, uh, just, just I, I mean, yeah that that uh, that that was fine. It just it just seemed like it, <laughs> it was, was all over the, all over the it was all over the place. Yeah, like it, it was. had to do with like reshoots, and it, it it just seemed like there was some tinkering going on.
1: Yeah, because it was like a major reshot, It was major reshoot,
2: right? And that what what the yeah. yeah wasn't it after the Amber Heard I think it was trial that they redid a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, right, yeah. So my understanding
1: of what I heard was that it kind of like had a bad audience reaction to like when they did the, you know, whatever previews, I guess they're called. And one of the things that people were thinking was in the comic book, uh, Manta kills that baby. And so people were saying they think that they, they killed a baby in the movie. And so people were like, oh, we don't want to see no baby get murdered. So let's uh, <laughs> <re-cut that." laughs> So I don't know if that's true or not, but that was one of the rumors that was going around. And then also the amber heard issue which i didn't even think about when i watched it
4: but you, you you've read you've read the whole storyline of what
1: amber heard yeah oh i mean you mean have i read the whole storyline of amber heard or what do you mean well yeah i mean like you you're her real life experience. Yeah, her real
4: life experiences and all that.
1: <laughs> I remember it happening. I remember what went down. And like, like by the time this movie came out, I was watching the movie, and I'm just like, oh yeah, and there was there's Amber Heard. I forgot she had like all those all that stuff happening. Yeah, it's gonna affect me in a positive or negative way. I just said, oh, there's Amber Heard. Okay, I forgot about her. Hey, you
0: forgot. That's interesting. Yeah.
4: By the time this film comes out, you'd forgotten. It was supposed to
0: come out what at least a year ago, probably. Maybe.
4: Because I think with the
1: Flash, he was that was kind of it was still recent news with him, right? So that's, yeah. that was in mind when I was watching
2: Flash. Yeah, I guess this is a little out of order because this is the end of the extended universe, and the Flash was the beginning of the new one, right? Is that know? true?
0: I, think, I don't know. That, uh, I don't know
4: because Diane is in it, right?
0: Yeah, at Wonder the beginning. When, I think that there were cameos from the Affleck Batman, and maybe. Wonder Woman that they cut out of Aquaman, or maybe, or I think Bat, I think Keaton's Batman was in it at one point. Also, I so.
1: thought I saw somewhere like early on it was advertised that he was going to be in the cast because he was going to be like the cast into as it continued on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, July. yeah, but then they cut it out because they thought, no, we're just going to confuse people, and we're not even going to.
1: Oh, now they're worried about confusing people. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
4: So wait, so Matt, you're saying that. Keaton's Batman was supposed to be in Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Yeah,
0: and I think I I think they shot something with Affleck, cut it out. Shot something with Keaton, cut it out. I think, what? Well, yeah, so something like that. What Batman was in it at one point, and and that was not thanks to I guess James Gunn.
2: Huh. <laughs> just trying to figure out how they would have worked him into that.
1: Probably just a scene, just yeah, him and his yeah, bat I, submarine,
2: yeah. like. Uh, spin- a drive-by, hey, how's it going? I could I could have seen
4: him yeah. using Batman to break his brother out, probably.
2: Does he have his own trident, his bat trident? <laughs> yes. Everybody has a trident in this universe. Everybody,
1: everybody gets one. The baby had his own little baby trident. You, see, it
4: like a little... you get a trident. You get a trident.
0: <laughs> P trident. I'm still That's hung right. up on Steven Seagal. That's I know, I, now
2: I gotta go find that
0: speech. That's all I could think of after, after I left. I'm like, you know that was just, that was On Deadly Ground. It's was a remake of On Deadly Ground.
1: And this movie was also, I felt like, structured like the first Aquaman a bit,
0: right? Because they're
1: still having to go chase and find something they end up in the desert, they go back to the yeah.
3: world. Yeah,
4: I mean like it feels like they're trying to, it felt like the first one they're trying to make them a little bit like Indiana or something you know, or like they go seek something that is of the past And then they have to race against somebody who's trying to collect the object. And the the object has some sort of powers, not just cultural significance. And the same thing seemed to be happening here. And it also felt like it was not just like Indiana Jones or what is the Michael Douglas one? Romancing the stone. stone. It's not just like one of those narratives. It's, it felt like it was also like those 1960s movies, like journey to the center of the earth and, you know, like these giant animals and this like tropical environment. And uh, using science to get away from all those large creatures, as well as, like, again, Indiana. felt like it was all those things. Maybe to, like, emphasize how he's different from the other superheroes. I don't know. It seems like they were trying to put him in a certain kind of genre. The way that we think about, like, Thor, also in, like, a Lord of the Rings-like genre a little bit at the beginning. I don't know if it worked.
2: Well, we've always already talked about it longer than I thought we would have things to say about it.
4: And Sunrise, you saw it on 3D IMAX. I the first time I watched it in 3D IMAX. Yeah, I I do. I have no memory of the 3D.
2: Mm. I saw it in 3D.
4: Do you have memory of the 3D?
2: There were some shots that worked really nicely in 3D. There were some. I mean, it was just not super remarkable.
4: I think it actually like det- detracted. I feel like from the one thing I do remember is when we're kind of seeing the characters in, in like these little meetings before everything happens in Atlanta. Is that what it's called, Atlantis? Atlantis. 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 Not I'm, sure shooting, yeah, I'm sure the uh, shooting. I'm sure the shooting Atlanta, for Atlantis. <laughs> <laughs> but when they're when they're like just talking and like the he's in the throne room or they're in the like the secret room where they're talking about the plans and looking at the map or whatever. Uh, their faces are the humans, but then it's like the hair is like floating around and mm-hmm. you know it's probably CGI. And yeah, um, it
2: were, the underwater worked best with the 3D yeah uh-huh.
4: yeah, like the floating of objects yeah it was more believable and in the 2d i definitely noticed it, it's like not integrated very well
1: yeah i watched the first half in 3d and in the second half i watched normal
4: the 3d like i, I don't do
1: well with 3d anyway so i felt like i didn't recall anything that like stood out for me but when those flower things came i was wondering if that looked cool in 3d because they kind of came at the screen right When the with the flowers that were eating. oh yeah in the, in, when the, the, in the
2: jungle thing um i you know that didn't stand out as oh, okay. like the the things coming at you yeah no uh, yeah, well talking about that. a missed opportunity
1: right exactly yeah because yeah. they didn't really make 3d movies like you know like back in the day like house of wax and stuff like remember like back then they had stuff actually come at the screen and stuff
2: oh yeah i'm up at 3d at disney world awesome yeah, yeah that
1: was awesome So maybe
4: they should try to do stuff like that. Dr. I mean, like the, the animated stuff when it's in 3d, like the Spider-Man's spider verse movies, or like the turtles movies, they Uh seem to be working well. And they still kind of do those, those kind of like gags or things coming at you, but these movies not working so well. No. I, you know, I like that. takes a lot of work for the effects to, to be like working that way. And I, I actually felt like the effects in this were like inconsistent. There were some scenes where it looked like it was like, a game there's some scenes where it looked like it was anime there were scenes mm-hmm. where it started to look okay but it felt like i don't know if it's just their timeline they had to rush the movie to get it out but there were some scenes where it felt like it was it needed another like revision or something
2: hey nothing's gonna match the bar set by the flash Oof. huh oh <laughs> give me the low bar okay. the low and- bar yeah. Also uh,
4: yeah, also probably rushed.
1: Yeah. I think that's been the uh the big what do you call it? like the criticism of these more lo- higher budget heavy effects movies is that there's too many of them and there're not enough effects artists to to get them in and get them on time, to get them done to look spectacular and magnificent and so on.
2: Did I read really that yeah. they're going to strike? Yeah, I mean there's,
4: yeah, there's labor issues here too. Yeah. So they're they're not given enough money and they're not given enough time and Mm-hmm. They're not given enough resources. And because they're, they're also international. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They're I think the biggest issue is that, you know, most of these countries that house these artists have labor laws that need to be adjusted. And there's no like effective way right now mm. for everyone to unionize in every company across the world. I think that's the goal. But I think the visual effects supervisors, visual effects producers are the ones that are probably, you know, like in first world countries, especially in, you know, here in America, they're the ones that are probably going to unionize. They're going to have to speak for all these other companies. Um, They're the ones that hire these companies with the artists that are actually doing all the work in these other places. But for there to be real effect, all those companies and all these other countries have to have some way to cede the power to the workers. That's going to be where the real challenge is but I mean, yeah this was like during the the uh the strike this was kind of the first time where a lot of people in visual effects were coming together and saying that they need to do something especially because like all of these superhero films seem to be you know on top of each other and there are not enough people and there are not enough resources and the studios are not making enough money and they're paying less and they're giving less time but they're you know, on the other side, may, may, wanting extremely high demands that are exponentially higher than they were the previous film. It makes sense that these films don't look good, and the outcome is it's almost like it doesn't matter, also, because like audiences are not seeing the movies anyway. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, like what everyone always says, you know, at the end of the day, it's about telling a good story. And if you tell a good story, usually that's the thing that keeps people at least remembering a movie. They might not all want to go see them but at least you remember the movie
2: yeah my biggest takeaway from that movie was cockroaches on hamburgers are good
4: but you gotta wear a shirt that's got jabber jaw yes yes (laughs) jabber jaw (laughs) what a ridiculous metaphor like they're talking about metaphors but that's like the metaphor for a colonist to be non-prejudiced is eating a burger with a cockroach on it (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's decolonizing food right there, it's right? That's
1: really? well, Cockroaches are
2: edible, but
4: you just have to cook them. They are.
2: Oh, really?
4: Yeah. I mean, I, cr-
2: I know crickets are, but cockroaches?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I've never eaten one. Not intentionally, at least. And then, <laughs> Ew. my burger and I didn't know when I was at the <laughs> you know greasy spoon restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any more deep thoughts, Sunrise, for... Are any more on deadly ground comparison, Matt? No. All right. Everyone loved the movie. It was it was okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's fine. I don't think it was terrible. You know, it was an, think- it was it keep me entertained. I didn't want to walk out on it.
2: True.
4: Yeah. True. Yeah. I think Matt gave it three stars. Really? I did out of
1: five. How many stars do you give it, son?
4: I don't give stars anymore. What do you give? I just give it a look. Give it a look. Attaboy. a boy. I don't give it anything. All right. I give it my time of day. Yeah, that's a true critic. That's what a critic should do. Just tell us what it is and what they think.
2: How about you, Angela? It was fine. Do you starch out it? (sighs) I mean, I think three is generous, but two is not. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was fine. Two and a half. (laughs) Yeah. Two and a half? Yeah. I mean, there was an effort made. (laughs) It was a movie. There was an effort made. A movie was made, and I watched it.
0: (laughs) They made
4: a
2: movie. And it was, it you be. know, it was talking about global warming and maybe people didn't say the W word and actually listened. And What's
1: the Wonder Woman? Woke. Oh.
2: <laughs> so maybe, maybe without putting it quite in your face, people will pay attention. My friends all said, ooh, Jason Momoa in 3D. That was their takeaway. <laughs> were they pleased? They were like, yeah. Yeah.
1: What are your thoughts on Jason Momoa? Angela,
2: he looks like he's smelly. <laughs> that's... He's
0: he's he's likable. He's having a good time.
4: He's having he's always having a good time.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's starting to do the. Uh, I, who is it
1: that you? know Where he's starting to be more like a character as opposed to he's having fun. You know what I'm saying? Like in mm-hmm. the movies, the, what are they called? The Fast and Furious movies. Fast and Furious. Yeah. He's, he's just, like the
4: best part of that film.
1: Yeah, he's just there to have a good time. I think. Yeah, and that's
4: okay. That's also- okay. It's okay. Mm -hmm. They're not. They're not solving global climate change.
2: (laughs) No, but I mean, he is a he is an activist. Actually, does work on that. I mean, you know, yeah, he's he's big in Hawaii. Very very active in Hawaii about all of that. Yeah, which is where they shot, right? They shot this here or there. Did Mm -hmm. they? Not in Atlanta.
4: No, I don't think so. Okay, or maybe maybe part of it, but it seems like Hawaii was a big major listing at the end of the film.
1: Noeda, are you excited to see it now?
3: Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna watch it regardless, but it's just, I mean, like The Flash, it took me probably four months after it came on HBO Max for me to watch it, so it, it, I'll eventually get there.
4: <laughs> would you Would you watch it sooner if there were Batman cameos in it? No. Yeah, so they made the right
2: choice.
0: <laughs> hey, this tells me they, they shot it in
2: London. Oh, well, no, in Hawaii, in LA, in Malibu, and in. Denver. Oh, yeah. Okay. I see. I see that.
4: Yeah. yeah. And then the LA Castle Studios in Burbank. No, Atlanta for Atlantis. Oh, man. So, what I
1: like about it is that, you know, you do have like in the original Aquaman, it was a blonde dude, white dude, you know. And so, this one, at least, they kind of like, you know, gave us some representation. And so, you have, you know, a Hawaiian cat playing this character, and he's like a rock and roller metal cat who just like, you know, whatever the, the equal of a, a rugged Indian is in Hawaii, you know, he's kind of a rugged cat who just likes to have a good time. And I like that about it. And I like you know that they have Jason Momo in it.
4: And he's just riding his bike. That's all he really wants to do. Yeah. Or his horse. What do you call Seahorse. Seahorse, yeah. I do think he's trying to be a good father, which is yeah. kind of important, I think, just in Right in terms of depictions, especially with his uh, father, right that actor is known like in his previous incarnations it feels like he was somebody who is aggressive t- toward his family members and it feels like this is sort of like a change a little bit who he is now and who the father as a father who's positive as a role model and present and those like those are positives, I guess also in like the depiction like what we you're talking about.
0: Thanks for listening. Um, as always, you can check us out on, on our socials, our Facebook, Real Indigenous Podcast, Twitter X, at Real Indigenous, um, Instagram, Real Indigenous Pod. We do have a... Uh, we, we have a Patreon, yes. Um, there's all sorts of good stuff on there, so uh, check it out. And uh, is that it?
4: Well, we don't want to just keep it real.
0: Oh, yeah. Don't just keep it real. Keep it real. Real. Real.
4: Indigenous.
0: Indigenous. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of left me hanging there.